By the way, in case you're wondering, um, Eric and Sarah and Ezekiel, we helped them move back down to St. Louis, and they're going to stop by and see us tomorrow, so I get to see my little seven-month-old grandson again. Oh, and the 25-year-olds, too. Okay. And um, Seth is now in Mongolia. He made it to Ulaanbaatar after a really long, like, three airplane flights. And he now, he's, as of Friday, he's up in Darkhan, three hours north, in his own apartment, not talking to us. Busy, I'm sure. So anyway, that's, and Karen's always, she's doing exactly what Karen does. So anyways, very good to see you. Good to be back. Okay. And I'm not here to talk about my family. I'm here to talk about the Bible. So we're going to open scripture. I ask you to please stand because we respect God's word. And there's really two texts. I don't mean to confuse you, but there are two texts we're going to be looking at. The first is in Exodus chapter 16. And I'm just going to read verse 2 for you, then tell you what's happening. But in Exodus chapter 16, in verse 2, God has these words. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So keep that in mind. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about John chapter 6. Because these two texts are connected. So John chapter 6, verse 32. One of the things I like about coming over here, you'll all look in your Bibles. So, in John chapter 6, in verse 32, Jesus has these words. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So this is the true word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you for working in the lives of Moses, the lives of everyone on earth throughout time. Thank you for working in our lives. And Father, use your word to show us our need for Jesus and how that need is met in the person of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Open our hearts and minds and lives to your word, to your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to consider these two passages from Scripture together. Exodus chapter 16 and John chapter 6. Now, whenever you're reading the Bible, one of the things that we're, we're told, and you're you want to understand it, because we have lots of questions, but Scripture interprets Scripture. So that's what we're going to do here. So when you think about Exodus 16, also think about John chapter 6. Because these two passages fit together. Even though these two events were about 1,400 years apart. So first, consider Moses. Now Moses was a great prophet who faithfully delivered God's word in some very difficult situations, both to Pharaoh and to the Hebrews. It was always a challenge. 
But Moses, as great as he was, did not have the ability to save anyone's soul for eternity. Jesus is that Savior that Moses needed and that we need. So also consider that harsh slavery that the Hebrews were living in down in Egypt. But as we read this, even more consider our harsh slavery to sin and the deliverance that we have in Jesus. Then consider the manna. That bread from heaven that seemed to appear out of nowhere that God delivered to the escaped Hebrew slaves so they could have food throughout their long journey to the promised land. In that light, also consider the bread that Jesus provided out there in the middle of nowhere. Bread that appeared out of nowhere. Out of just a few loaves and a few fish. But even more than either of those, consider Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And also consider that desert that the Hebrews had to get through. At the same time, consider that empty place that the people were in when they came to hear Jesus. At the same time, consider also this world right now which you and I are going through on the way to that land of even greater promise. So placing these two passages side by side, it's clear that, yes, Moses was wonderful. He was impressive. Jesus is even more so. That bread that God provided was a wonderful miracle. Yes, Jesus is so much more. There's a greater freedom that's ours in Jesus. There's a greater sustenance that's ours in Jesus. That prophet, even greater than Moses, is Jesus. Because in addition to being that great prophet, Jesus is the Son of God. So let's look at Exodus chapter 16. As we read this, the people are out in the desert. And they're grumbling. They're grumbling because they're hungry out in a place where there's no food to be found. They're not in Egypt anymore. They're out in a much harsher physical environment. And so thinking back to their lives in Egypt, they remember all those loaves of bread and the pots of meat over the fire. And as they grumble about it all to Moses, there are a few things that they conveniently leave out. They fail to mention that in Egypt, they'd been slaves. They forgot to mention the fact of the forced labor and that cruel treatment. They left out the fact that Pharaoh had given the decree that all the newborn baby boys must be killed. So yes, we can concede the fact that if you don't mention all those bad parts, life had been pretty good down in Egypt. Now the grumbling started when they hadn't been out of Egypt for very long. Let's look at the time frame. We're in Exodus 16, so remember that number. Exodus 16. Back in Exodus 6 through 10, 
God had sent the first nine plagues against Egypt. In Exodus 12, is the Passover. In Exodus 13, God started to use that pillar of smoke by day and fire by night to lead the people through the wilderness. In Exodus 14, God parted the Red Sea so the Hebrews could escape on dry ground and get away from the armies that were pursuing them. All of these things had just happened. All of the people should be able to remember clearly all that God had done to deliver them. So now, in Exodus chapter 16, they're grumbling. They've been slaves. The Egyptians were working them to death. That's not an exaggeration. That was their intent. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who truly is, had set them free. And they had been eyewitnesses to all of this as it was happening. And now, very, very quickly, they grumbled that God was doing a terrible job. So how did God respond? Well, for now, God was very patient. Keep reading, that does eventually change. So God was patient, much more patient than I would be. These Hebrews were still his people. He had promised that he would keep the faith with them. He promised that family that he would use them to bless all the nations of the world. The promise that would be kept in the person of Jesus. He had told Moses that he would send food to them out where there wasn't any. Meat in the evening and bread in the morning. And besides just providing this food, this was going to be an indicator of whether the Hebrews, whether his people, would keep the faith or not. So he told them to gather no more of this heavenly bread than would, than would get them through just one day. Except that on the sixth day, they need, would need enough for two days because there wouldn't be any man on the ground on the Sabbath. So would they follow these very simple, clear instructions? That evening, just as promised, God sent quail into the camp, and the people ate meat. In the morning, there was some strange, thin, and flaky substance on the ground for them to go and make bread out of it. The people saw it, didn't know what it was, so they asked, manna. Which in Hebrew was a question, I mean, what is it? And Moses answered, that is what God is providing so you can turn it into bread, so you can make it through this desert. God continues to be faithful. God provided everything that the people would need during their travels through the desert and into the promised land. On the other hand, the people were not keeping the faith. They failed. Some of them gathered more manna than what they would need for the one day, and before they ate it, it rotted. Some of them did not gather enough for the two days to cover the Sabbath day, and then they complained because there was no food out there for them on the Sabbath. So... 
the people failed. And yet God consistently, all the way to all the years in the desert, faithfully kept them bread, gave them bread for the journey. It didn't stop until they entered into the land. This is what he promised. He kept the faith. So now, look in the Gospel of John. Years later, the Messiah arrived. Now, why did he come? One way to answer it is that God always provides for his people. Once again, just before John chapter 6, God provided for hungry people out in the middle of nowhere. Through Jesus, loaves of bread appeared again out of nowhere. That's just five loaves multiplied so there was enough to fill thousands of stomachs. And don't tell me what some people are saying today, that this was just a miracle of generosity. And with five loaves, everybody got one little bite and was happy. I have two boys. Okay? Don't tell me that's enough. Okay. And then, right after that miracle with the bread... People with full stomachs found Jesus on the other side of the lake because he'd walked across it. And they, they wanted more evidence that Jesus truly is the Messiah. More than he'd already given them. Jesus did not give them more evidence to see with their eyes. But he did tell them that he is better than manna. He told them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Yes, Jesus is more than manna. Jesus is even more than Moses. Jesus is that Savior that God had told people generation after generation that he was going to send. Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. Jesus is the one that they needed. Jesus had come to do a whole lot more than just filling up stomachs until the next meal. Jesus had come to get them through the wilderness of this world where good and evil all mixed together. Jesus had come to be the better way to that promised land that is everlasting and where God himself lives. And then as we continue in John chapter 6, it gets to be kind of a difficult chapter, actually. After the people heard this from Jesus, they grumbled. They didn't like the way that Jesus was saving them. They wanted a different kind of Messiah, more of a bread Messiah. By the end of the chapter, most of the people who had been following Jesus now abandoned him went their own way. Even though, as Peter said, it is Jesus who has the words of eternal life. So once again, just like they did with Moses, the people failed. But Jesus did not fail. Jesus kept his promise. Jesus continued to seek and to save the lost. Jesus stuck to that plan of salvation which meant going to the cross to give himself as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life for their failure to follow God. He gave his life for our failure to follow God. <coughs> Have people really changed? 
We still grumble. John 16, or Exodus 16 and John 6 describe us too. So if we're pointing our fingers at the Hebrews, we have to point our fingers at ourselves too. Consistently, God keeps the faith with us. And still we're tempted to join in with the grumbling about how he does it. The devil is always tempting us to grumble against God. For example, after a wonderful day, when another day gets kind of tough, it's easy for us to grumble. We want all of these normal, routine days to be like that awesome day. So it becomes so easy for us to grumble that life isn't everything that we want it to be. Even so, the Lord always keeps faith with us every moment. It's also easy for us to want to go back to being a captive to sin. For some reason, it can be very disappointing for us to, as we live life as a new creation in Christ. Some of those things that we're told we have to give up are things that really appeal to us and have deep hooks in us. Things like gossip, laughing at a dirty joke, going along with the crowd, getting upset when somebody else doesn't do things your way, losing your temper. The temptation is strong to go along with something even when it's immoral. It's strong to fill our minds with garbage. It's, fine, or it's strong to make excuses for our harshness. Like those Hebrews, when they wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. But God delivers out of captivity and into freedom, both for the Hebrews and for you. Nobody can be both slave and free at the same time. It's so easy for us to complain and grumble about how, God, how demanding God can be, how he doesn't accept our excuses, how he doesn't let us blame other people. He can even grumble that he doesn't let us have any fun. By the way, the problem with that is our definition of what's fun. It's also easy for us to grumble about the way that God saves. The Hebrews, it took a long time, 40 years to get through the desert to the promised land. They had to actually work six days a week to get their food. Tough. Their descendants grumbled about salvation coming through Christ and not through their own efforts. People still grumble about the way that Jesus saves. But one thing never changes. God's word still stands. So repent of your sins. Trust that forgiveness is yours only through Christ. Feed your soul through time in his word. Live in your baptism. Receive his body and blood through the bread and the cup. And serve the Lord humbly lovingly, while you accept the reality that Jesus will come back whenever he comes back. It's so easy for us to grumble about everything that God provides, from house, home, family, all the way to forgiveness and everlasting life. We want more. 
We want the next big thing. We want to be able to insist on our way instead of God's way. The devil hates contentment. And the devil hates gratitude. And the devil hates trust. He hates the life that God is calling us into. So we grumble. Grumble, grumble, grumble. It's so easy. And still, after all these years of God hearing all of this, the good news that we do not deserve is that God is still always faithful. This is the God who got the Hebrews through the desert and into the promised land. This is the same God who sent Jesus Christ to earth. Neither of these two times did God leave people to fend for themselves. He still does not leave us to fend for ourselves. So we have strong reason for hope. We have a very genuine, realistic reason for optimism. The reason for this is Jesus. On the cross, he never grumbled. Instead, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as they grumbled, and as we grumble still, God calls us to repentance. He calls us into a life of grace and trust. And as we still sometimes fail the test, Jesus has succeeded. Jesus has conquered sin and death and the devil. So he can honestly inform you of the reality that you are forgiven for all of your sins. Through Jesus Christ, God lifts us out of grumbling into gratitude. Thanks be to God. In Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your persistence, for your constant grace and mercy and compassion. Thank you, Father, also for confronting us for our grumbling, for our sins, for our complaining and griping. Thank you, Father, for being steady in your mercy and care for us. And Father, urge us to repent. Urge us into that life of grace and mercy and compassion and faith and love. You call us to something that's so much better, so much more joyful, a life that will last forever and ever. A life that in the end is so much more satisfying. Help us to trust you today. And through every day in life, until that blessed moment when we see you face to face and know that we're home. Thanks be to Jesus. In his name.